supposed to be one of the favorites to make the Stanley Cup final this year. These Canadians, Ronald Corey, got Serge Savard, he hired Jacques Demers. And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Six months ago, I was working on a passion project. As a lifelong Habs fan, it was really fun to work on a special storytelling podcast with producer Emil about the 25th anniversary of the Montreal Canadiens winning the 1993 Stanley Cup. Tape to tape listeners, if you are looking for a little break from your relatives over the holiday season, you might want to go check that out. It dropped June 1st, back in the summer. Go give that a download and reminisce a little bit about what went down at the forum 25 years ago. Just so happens on this podcast, we also got some good Montreal Canadiens content. I was in Montreal recently talking to Brendan Gallagher, the dogged right winger of the Montreal Canadiens. I was there for a feature that will drop on sportsnet.ca this coming Sunday. But before that, you can hear my one-on-one interview with Gallagher from the Habs dressing room, their practice facility in Brassard, Quebec. So stick around for that. But before we get there, this being the holiday season and all, of course, we have to talk about the World Juniors. Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet's prospect guru. This man's mind and knowledge of draft eligible and players who've already been drafted by teams. It's crazy how deep Sam can go. So Sam stopped by. We're going to play you Rory's conversation with Sam. He's going to talk about Team Canada, some of the draft-eligible 2019 guys you can see in the tournament, as well as some guys who've been selected by Canadian teams, who fans of those teams will certainly want to keep a close eye on. So that's what we've got coming right up for you. It's Rory and Sam Cosentino talking World Juniors. So the 2019 edition of the World Junior Championship this year in Victoria and Vancouver, British Columbia, the Canadian team has at least got a medal every time the country has hosted this event. And I think we can expect or anticipate that this one is pretty well set up to challenge for a medal again this year, maybe even defend its title. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, the 99 age group across the world is is not one of the better age groups that we're seeing. So this tournament's going to give us a host of 2,000 players. Canada's a perfect example of that. Uh, and you'll see that across some of the other countries as well. So it's going to be fascinating to see how the younger players integrate themselves in what is predominantly a 19-year-old tournament. But to say that Canada goes into this thing as a gold medal favorite, I think would be a little bit off the mark. To say as uh, a country that should compete for a medal, I think that's that's fair to say. So you do a lot of junior. You're our draft guru here, which I imagine is top of the charts in terms of events to go to. But the WJC's got to rank pretty highly up there for you, doesn't it, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I had budget to go and see everything. You know, not just budget, but time, you know, based on our schedule of doing CHL games. So that becomes a bit of a challenge. Uh, having said that, you know, this is a marquee event. And it's always interesting to go and watch these players perform at this level it's not just playing against the best players in the world, but a lot of it has to do with playing with the best players in the world. How can you elevate your game to make those around you better? Or how much better are you playing with, with older, better, more skilled, stronger type of guys? So 
that's a big piece when it comes to to the scouting of this event. And of course, anytime you have the pressure of a of a world stage of wearing your country's colors, it just adds all these elements of potential adversity that scouts get to, you know, see a guy playing. But it's not the be all and end all. It's definitely helpful for a lot of players. But I think back to last year in Rasmus Kupari of Finland, who was taken in the first round by the LA Kings, he played very sparingly. And when he played, he wasn't particularly effective. Yeah, that didn't seem to have an impact on, on what L.A. thought of him and where L.A. took him in the first round. But that's based on a huge body of work. Um, it's not just the World Juniors. The World Juniors is just another really good piece in order for scouts to see guys playing with and against the best in the world in their peer group or close to it. Okay, so we're going to touch on some interesting prospects, some of the other teams around the WJC, but I think most of our listeners are interested in Team Canada. So let's drill into these guys starting from the goaltender position. Not always the strongest at this event for Team Canada, but this year uh, Michael DiPietro is there after being cut last year. His backup looks like it's going to be Ian Scott, a Toronto Maple Leafs prospect. Is this DiPietro's crease to lose? Is Scott going to push him for some time? And what are the level of these goalies? Are they going to steal games for this team, or are they going to be an Achilles heel? Well, I think Mikey has a chance to steal games. I think it's Mikey's crease, crease to lose. You know, He's got the big game experience, 2017 Memorial Cup. You know, drafted into a Canadian market, 64th uh, uh, overall to Vancouver in that 2017 year. And I think he really thrives in the big moment. It's not often that you see a first-year draft-eligible goalie, you know, leading his team to a championship. And that's what Mikey did in 2017. There's a lot to be to be said about that. If you go back to April last year and at the World's Hockey Canada, I think identified him to be this guy. And they said, go over there. Uh, you're not going to play. Bring all your gear, your practice, and you're going to get to hang out in an environment where wearing your jersey, uh, wearing the flag on your jersey is really, really important. Not that it ever is not, but right. when it's the men's seniors compared to, you know, an 18, 19-year-old kid, it's, it's a little bit different. And so he went over there and he learned a lot, especially from a guy like Curtis McElhinney who helped mentor him. And he came back and, you know, didn't get off to a great start with Windsor. And then as talk started to heat it up about the camp, Mikey turned up his game and I think he's starting to realize and recognize the big moment, uh, you know, once again, you know, he's been traded. He doesn't have to worry about that now. He knows that he's going to come back to Ottawa and play the rest of his junior career with the 67s. And now he's going to go into this thing as being the guy. Now, having said that, does that mean Ian Scott is not going to play? I would think that Ian Scott will probably get into one game in the round robin. And I think it would be, Probably the decision of Tim Hunter to just take Michael DiPietro and ride him as long as he possibly can. Now, Ian Scott, when you look at him, big, tall, lanky guy, introverted type of kid with goalies across the CHL, he has the best numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, goals against, save percentage, shutouts, you know, minutes played, wins, all, all the important categories. He's he's the guy. Now He's got a really good team in front of him, but there is still a lot to be said about stopping the puck on a regular basis yeah. with a really good team because that with that comes a lot of pressure as well. So I think it's Mikey's to lose. I think Ian will will see some time, but I think Mikey's going to be be the lead guy here. DiPietro is a Vancouver Canucks prospect, another goalie prospect. They already have Thatcher Demko up in the AHL, so something for them to look forward to again in this. Yeah, tournament. well, that's really nice, and that and that's an added extra layer of pressure for, for sure. Mikey. And again, I think he thrives in those situations, so he's going to have a lot of fun playing in this event. He's got you know a bit of a chip on his shoulder for being a smaller goalie. 
Um, you know, they, there's a lot of NHL teams that, unless you're six two, they won't even look at you as a goalie. Mm-hmm. And that's a steadfast and hard rule, truly, with some NHL teams that you know that I talk to in the in the scouting community. So it's going to be really neat to see Mikey with all these different layers of pressure put upon him, and, and see how he responds to it. So we're recording this podcast on December nineteenth. The full rosters don't officially have to be in until the twenty fifth, but it looks mostly like this Canada roster is set definitely on the blue line which is skewing a little bit young this year. Yeah. So how's yeah, really that going to play out, do you think? It's the youngest blue line that I can remember in years. And um, every coach that you have, they talk about this being a 19-year-old tournament. And so this is the sort of thing where they're saying, hey, you know what? Our best guys are our younger guys. They're late 99s, Evan Bouchard, or they're 2000 borns, you know, the Ty Smiths and Noah Dobsons of the world. And, and that's what we're going to roll here. And I give Hockey Canada a lot of credit because at times they've been criticized in the past for being kind of stuck in in the rut. Mm -hmm. While you've only had to play in the program and you need to be a 19-year-old and so on and so forth. And and they've kind of got outside the box here and and identified these guys as the best players in the age group. And and I think rightfully so. But having said that, with youth, you know, you're not physically as mature. Maybe you're not mentally as tough. And you're not up to the level of most 19 year olds. Now, this is an exceptional group. And I, you know, I think about Ty Smith and, you know, what a fantastic young man he is and how well he has his head in the game. I've gotten to know Noah quite well over the last, uh, you know, year and a half and same sort of thing. So I think these guys are, are up to the task. No question about it. But again, it's still a tournament for older players. And, you know, we know how important the, the deep side of the game is these days. How are these young guys? going to respond when the big lights turn on and there's 19,000 people watching you in Vancouver. Yeah. So there's two defensemen specifically I want to ask you about. The first one is going to be Evan Bouchard, Edmonton Oilers prospect, played a couple of NHL games this year. How has he looked back in junior? And do you think because he's got that NHL exposure already that he's going to be kind of the alpha dog on this back end? Well, I think so. And he's more of a quiet guy too. And he'll lead with his play on the ice. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just plays a boatload of minutes. I think, you know, last year after London made all its trades, he was named captain and was playing upwards of 32 minutes uh, a game for the London Knights, which is a which is a lot. But having said that, he can handle it. He's a he's a big horse uh, of a guy, and I think with his minutes being able to be scaled back a little bit here, when he's probably going to play in the 26 minute range, that's going to be a big advantage for him. You know, everyone worries about his skating. I think we saw at the NHL level; it's not necessarily an issue for him. He defends well with good reach and a good stick. He's got a bomb of a shot. And he's got a real unique ability to be able to get shots through. And that means changing his shot on the fly. You know, if he identifies a lane that's not open, he'll change his shot. He'll move his feet. He'll adjust how hard the shot's going to be. And and maybe those things allow him to be able to get shots through better than most guys I've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, at this age. So the NHL experience, no doubt, is going to play a a big key for him because everyone's going to be gunning for him. And his teammates are going to be looking up at him and saying, hey, man, wasn't that long ago you were just hanging out with Connor McDavid and the, <laughs> you know, on the planes and so on and so forth. So I think he's going to be a real big piece. It's going to be neat to watch him try and translate his game for just how good he is with London to see if he can ratchet it up that kind of notch when the competition gets better here. Right. The second defenseman is 12th overall pick, New York Islanders prospect Noah Dobson. I mean, his numbers jumped off the page last year, 69 points in 67 games. Only 16 through 28 this season, but Akadi Bathurst has really struggled. <laughs> so maybe that's a big factor in here. Is that the factor? Is there something to worry about? Or is he going to kind of assert his dominance again on this big stage? I think he's got a chance to be the number one guy. 
on the back end before it's all said and done. Um, as you know, Rory, you know, we, we deal a lot together off air with, uh, you know, with the draft stuff and going back to last year, I just thought so highly of this young man and it wasn't just his play, but it was just getting an opportunity to meet him. But I look at his ceiling. His, this guy literally is the limit for this young guy. He's just started to figure it out. You know, if you go back to, to two summers ago, he was basically a, uh, you know, six, seven defenseman on a, on a Halenka team and, worked his way up and and then he used last year to prove that he could play the other side of the puck as well mm-hmm. and now you're looking at a really complete guy who really thinks the game well who's so in tune with the game is watching trends in the NHL and looking at guys that he can kind of pattern his game after I love him he will come out of this the 2018 draft class as the second best defenseman well, I, I I truly believe that and to think that the Islanders got him at number 12 I don't know I think a lot of teams really missed the boat there on on Noah Dobson because of the position the size you know, he's got winning pedigree now. There's really nothing like not to like. And if you spend any time with him at all, you know he's singularly focused. I mean, here's a kid at, you know, 14 years old, went over to play in Austria to play in the Red Bull program because he thought that would be his best path of development. I mean, which kid does that at that age? Right. It just it doesn't happen that often. So he's a special guy, and I, I think he emerges as probably being the number one guy when it's all said and done. Mark Scheifele-esque in how he's tuned into the game and aware of yes. what's going on. Yeah, that's that's a really good comparison. I think back to the Memorial Cup last year and and before their semifinal game, he was talking about the the formula used to for the goal differential because we got into a scenario where you know teams had had won and the pool was looking a little bit dicey as to what would happen and we might have to go into a formula to determine who would go right to the final and so on and so forth. And he identified what that formula was, which is difficult for most of us. Yeah. Who, who, and I've done the tournament <laughs> for fourteen years and. If you'll remember the game against Regina, and I think it was that 8-6, it was a wild affair. Well, he stepped up and scored an empty netter on a play that was a bit iffy. He stood up at his line, intercepted a, a pass, stepped up over the red line to make sure it wasn't icing in case he missed the net, scored the empty netter, and then was part that goal ended up putting Ackity Bathurst right into the final because of the formulas being used. But this guy had identified that a long time ago, before the media had, before the CHL had, before his coach had. He knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So he is very Mark shifley asked when it comes to him being in tune with what's going on around him. Okay, so now let's move up to the forwards. And the first guy I want to ask you about, I don't know if he's going to play a significant role because of his age. Maybe you can say otherwise here. Alexis Lafreniere. I mean, he's the top projected pick in the 2020 draft. So as much as we talk about this being a 19-year-old tournament he's a 17 year old he's a year prior to these draft eligible guys but he's putting up tremendous totals in the queue and has been doing it for a couple of years now so on this big stage against older players the best of the best how do you see his role playing out with this team canada what kind of a game will he play i think he'll start out probably as a 13th guy and you know it was almost identified when they were talking about gabe velarde and it would probably be lafreniere would be the guy who'd, who'd get sent back if Filardi were healthy to participate, we know that's not the case now. And, and Alexi has made the team. And, you know, his 42 goal, 80 point CHL rookie of the year effort last year has been backed up by a, you know, a top five performance when he had uh, left to go to this world junior camp. But it is funny because with all the hype surrounding him, I think people expect to look out and say, well, this guy should be, you know, he should be a top six guy and he should stick out like a sore thumb. It's not going to be that way for Alexi. He's not that type of guy. He's not the most dynamic player you're ever going to see. He doesn't do things, you know, at that McDavid level. But you might expect that because of all the hype you've heard of this young man. So having said that, his game's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more well-rounded. He plays both ends. He's really, really smart. 
in terms of his positioning away from the puck. Mm-hmm. His vision when he has the puck is amazing. He shoots it really well. But he's one of those guys, when you watch him with his Ramuski team, he makes those around him better. So I think he starts out as the as the 13th forward. I think if he can capitalize on what few minutes he's going to get early on in the event, and if Tim Hunter can get him going, I, I think he has the opportunity to elevate himself. But you're looking at a guy who, again, as an underager with the Ivan Olinka team in the summer, which is mostly made up of draft-eligible guys. Now there's a few other younger guys in there, but he was the captain of that team, mm-hmm. and they won a gold medal. So that says to me a lot about what Hockey Canada feels about him and some of the intangibles that he brings to the table. He's not going to be in a leadership role in this group, which might serve him better to just go out and do his thing mm-hmm. and challenge himself to elevate himself in the lineup. So he's going to be a really fun guy to watch because being that double underager, if you will, you know, it's not off that that age of a player gets an opportunity to play a big role. It's worth remembering Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, he's yeah. a flashy, very, very good defenseman, obviously acclimating himself very well in the NHL. He played in this tournament a year before his draft. Yeah. Eligible year, and he looked pretty good, but they didn't play him very much. That's right. They? Yeah. And then he came back last year and he was, and he was good. <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculously good. So, you know, even the prospects for Alexi moving forward, Pretty good chance he's going to be the centerpiece next year. Sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, the only returning player from last year's team, Maxime Comtois. He's kind of interesting because in his draft year, he was projected to be a first-rounder, and he kind of fell off, and he now it looks like he's come back up. I thought he showed really well with the Anaheim Ducks this year, so he's got that NHL experience on his resume this year as well. Is he going to be the lead guy up front, do you think, or what's his role going to be? His role is going to be to lead to lead by example and to epitomize how Tim Hunter wants to play. Play fast, play north and south, move pucks quickly, and then utilize your skill. When it comes to Max, it was at this point last year where Anaheim uh, identified him as a guy that might be able to start this year. Now, once you get past your draft year, you have an opportunity to go in the summer and use the full summer to train, which Max did. But I remember making calls on this guy in his draft year saying, what is up with this guy? Like, what's going on? Why is he not scoring? What's happening? And he put a lot of pressure on himself. And I think some of that pressure was bore, you know, inside the organization he was playing for. I think there were some family pressures involved there. And he just didn't perform to the levels of, of what a first-round guy should pick. And, again, it's not all based on numbers. But it's body language and watching a guy play and how he responds in certain situations, what he's doing with his teammates. All these things factor into it. So when it comes to Max, I think Dominic Ducharme was probably the perfect guy for him last year. He probably felt a little more comfortable with a French-speaking coach and the ability to speak French. And that's not anything to do with Max's inability to speak English. But sometimes there's a comfort level. Sure. And I see it. I've seen it for 14 years. And that's not a, a biased comment. It's not a racist comment if you you know if you're looking at french and english but i truly feel they're that kids they're kids yeah and so there's a comfort level there and i think dominic really identified how he should play his game and it was a little bit different than what he was doing in victoriaville because the year after his draft year he started scoring again he was a centerpiece a little bit of razzle dazzle he could do all those things because he's skilled enough but dominic ducharme said hey man you want to play in the national hockey league you know what your fastest path to get there is have a look at the team that drafted you Anaheim, big, heavy, physical team. That's the game you got to play. You're good enough on the skill side. That's going to take care of itself when you need it. But you need to get down into the corner. You need to bang, crash, play a power forward type of game. And once you dislodge the man from the puck, go nuts, buddy. Use your skill. He did that last year at the World Juniors. Finished off the year in good stead. Went and had a really good 
training session in the summertime. And that's what allowed him to, to make Anaheim is because he changes game around from thinking, Oh, I'm going to be a skilled finesse guy to being, I'm going to be a power forward guy. And Anaheim was like, wow. And I think he had seven points in 10 games. If I'm not mistaken, he got hurt. And more of the reason why he's here in this event has to do with the, the expansion draft with Seattle and thinking, Bob Murray thinking long term and thinking ahead that this is a guy that if at that 10 game mark, we don't have to worry about him. Right. We don't have to protect him. Right. And do we want to take a guy that young and have to put him on our protected list? No. So now the opportunity opens up for him. He goes on his conditioning stint in the AHL, comes back. Hey, now he's the lone returning guy. And that's a huge, huge piece. But to say that he's going to go out and lead the team in points, no question that's possible. But I think more so he's going to be a leader in how he plays. So with so much turnover throughout this roster up front and everything, is this going to be a team that's going to need to score by committee? I know Alex Formenton's out. I, I assume they thought he was going to be a big guy. Gabe Velarde is also out with an injury. I assume they thought he was going to be a big player. Is this going to be a team that scores by committee, or is there going to be a star that's going to come out of this tournament that leads the way? No, I, I think it is going to be a, a, a committee group, and I see it very much the same way as what I saw it last year. You're going to have a bunch of guys in that six to nine point range. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to look down and say, oh, wow, this guy ran away with it. You know, Max Comtois was as good as Robert Thomas, was as good as Cal Foote, was as good as Connor Timmons, was as good as Kale McCarr, was as, you know, the, all these guys were in that same mm-hmm. kind of ilk in terms of their point production. You know, Drake Batherson, so on and so forth. I think this team has to be that way. Outside of maybe Cody Glass would be the guy that might stand out above the crowd a little bit. But I think they're going to need some significant contributions from the back end in terms of, Hey, get back, get the puck, move it, go ahead. And once you move it, now you're, you're free to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could see a couple of defensemen being in that five, six point range. You know, Dauber's probably going to be one of those guys. You know, Ty Smith has an opportunity to be one of those guys. Bouchard, you know, so I think they're going to need contributions from the back, maybe as much or more than what they had last year. But I think you're, you're bang on when you say it's going to have to be a, a scoring by committee type of deal. Okay. So let's move on to some other players, other teams. Start at the top. Got to ask you about Jack Hughes. Um, everybody knows this guy is going to get picked first overall in the next draft. I think in the past you've said he's kind of got Connor McDavid light skills. Yeah. How good is this guy? What is he going to do at this tournament considering he still is a draft eligible player, but just carving it up with the U.S. national team? Everywhere he goes, every tournament he enters, he comes in with that same sort of pressure and people are gunning for him. And I can speak specifically to what happens in the U.S. program having talked to John Robolowski, the the head coach for the U.S. program. He says college teams come in there, and they know exactly who they've identified as the guy, A, we need to stop, and B, the guy they want to make a mark against. Mm -hmm. So he's playing some nights against 23, 22-year-old guys. You know, he's a 17-slash-18-year-old kid in his first year of draft eligibility, and he's handled it really well. No problems there. Every tournament he goes to, he seems to lead the tournament in scoring. Is it going to happen here at the World Juniors? Well, if it does, that would be really something special, and I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But the one thing he has when I look at their group, he's probably the most dynamic player on that U.S. team. He plays with a lot of dynamic guys in the U.S. under-18 program, but the U.S. decided to go with an older group of guys, mostly 99-based, a couple of those returnees uh, you know, on the back end, but then you look up front like Paling and Norris up front as, as returning guys. They don't have the dynamic ability that Jack Hughes does. And it's that dynamic ability in this event that can that can help you. So it wouldn't shock me if he led the U.S. in scoring. It wouldn't shock me if he was a top three or top five guy in scoring. 
He's going to get opportunities because of his dynamic play to play in situations for the U.S. where they just don't have that guy. Who are some of the other draft-eligible guys just to keep an eye out for in this tournament? Well, Capo Caco, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. You know, he's had a great year playing against men. Mm -hmm. I think he's the third-leading scorer in terms of uh, underage guys in that league right now. Number two on your recent draft rankings. Number two on my recent draft rankings. And puck protection guy, shooter, passer, he does pretty much everything well. But, uh, you know, I, I caution it with the Rasmus Kupari of last year, who was in a similar situation and didn't really get to see the light of day. I think it'll be different for this guy. And there are a couple of reasons why. Christian Veselainen has chosen not to participate, so that opens up some room. And then you've got Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He's not going to be there. That's going to open up some room. He would have been a lock on this team. Uh, so there's going to be, I think, some opportunities for a guy who can produce like he does, maybe different than what it was last year. He's definitely a guy to keep an eye on because if there's any hope of anyone challenging Jack Hughes for that number one spot, I think this is the guy to do it. And a monster tournament here might start to ignite that conversation. Mm. If he sits back in the weeds like Kupari, then we're going to come out of this thing saying Hughes for sure guaranteed number one. There's not even a challenger. Mm-hmm. Now thinking more about 19-year-old players, yeah. um, who are the guys you think that are going to challenge for that MVP leading score? Who are going to be the big names coming out of this tournament? Uh, for me, it has to start with Brett Leeson because, again, he's a 19-year-old. He's never been on the scene, never been in the program, not a sniff from an NHL team. I mean, he's t- if he can do half of what he does with Prince Albert in the, in, you know, in the Canadian Hockey League and the Western Hockey League, He's probably the most fascinating guy for me to watch mm-hmm. in this tournament. Even, you know, Lafreniere or, or some of the draft eligibles, you know, Hughes, whatever else. He's probably the most interesting guy for me. It's because he's literally come out of come out of nowhere to to make things happen here. But when I look at some of the some of the older players, I mean, I think Quinn Hughes is gonna be a really neat guy to watch. You know, he's a late ninety nine. And then you look at some of the Czech players. They've got a couple guys that that I think uh, got an opportunity to do some damage here. Uh, Nichas, or however we're we're saying his name, yeah. <laughs> looks like he's gonna he's gonna end up playing. Um, Zadina too gets sent back. That's well, huge. Well, that, that's that's another guy like Philip Zadina, based on his seven goal, one assist effort last year with the eight points, got him into the semis almost single handedly uh, for the first time in twelve years for the Czechs. So he's probably a guy you'd identify. But again, he's a late. I think he's a late ninety nine, if I'm not mistaken. So still not. You know, not of that older, older group. Mm-hmm. There'd be a couple of guys there. I mean, I'm trying to think just off the top of my head about the Swedes. Even the U.S., they just don't have that, you know, that 99-born guy that you're looking at and saying, oh, yeah, he's going to he's gonna, you know, blow it up this year. So uh, Brett Leeson is an interesting guy for me. Uh, you know, Max Comtois, again, mm-hmm. he's, you know, a 99-born guy. So I don't know if we have that guy that we can identify as being the mm-hmm. 19-year-old who's going to take this tournament by storm. Inevitably, it's going to happen. But for me to kind of predict that guy sitting where we are on December 19th, I, I couldn't quite do that right now. So two questions here before we get you out of here. The first one, I, was, I remember talking to you last year about this Czech program, and they have not been good for uh, a while. They haven't medaled at the WJC since they got bronze in 2005. They did win back-to-back golds in 2000, 2001, but it's a program we haven't heard a lot about at this level for a while. But I remember you saying last year that look out for these guys next year. It's a program on the rise. Like we mentioned, they're getting two pretty big players back from the pros for this tournament. So what is going on here? Why do you like this year's Czech team, and and where do you kind of see them finishing in this tournament? 
they're going to be um, a, a group that's going to give Canada a scare. And I think when you look at the two pools originally, you saw the Swedes, the Finns, and the U.S. in one pool and thought for sure that's going to be the strength of the event. But, you know, I've seen the Russians firsthand. I know they're going to be really good. I know Canada's going to be really good. But the Czechs are, are the, that sneaky team in the whole event, in, in my eyes. They've got a goaltender in Jakob Skark who I think has the potential to steal a game. I watched him last year, and you can't really look at his numbers. He was in for a couple of, of rough games, but he is also really, really effective at times. Mm-hmm. And I think he's that type of athletic guy that has the potential to, to steal a game for you. So they're good on the back end. The checks are. So why is it? I think it's just one of those things that, aside from the rest of the world, they're in a really good space with their 99 and 2000 born players. There just seems to be a lot of them. And I don't know if that's, you know, I look at their head coaches, Vaclav Varada, Patrick Elias is the assistant. Maybe some of those guys have gone back and started coaching there and started to bring back some of what North America has to complement what was already going on there. But I think it's a really good cycle from where they are with their, with their birth years. Coaching, no doubt, has a lot to do with it. And I don't know. I think it's confidence. And you think about the Ivan Olenka a couple of years ago, that was something that they'd never won before, and they won that event. And this is that group now a year and a half later. So I think, you know, you're you're going to see some really interesting hockey come out of the checks because they've got three or four guys returning on the back. They've got, you know, if they ever get Heedle, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they ever get him, my goodness, mm-hmm. up front, they're going to be deep as well. So they're the group that absolutely few people will be talking about that can come in and, and meddle. Interesting. So final question. So I guess the four quote-unquote smaller programs this year in the tournament are Kazakhstan, Slovakia in Group B, and Switzerland and Denmark in Group A. Do any of these teams have a chance to give one of the big programs a run for their money? And and if they do, do they have any player to watch out for on any of those teams? You know, maybe the Slovaks, because they've been around it a little bit. Mm -hmm. They don't really have any name guys. They've got a coach who's been around a lot. I don't really see anything out of Denmark. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe goaltending wise, they're sure. able to, to do something there. But the Swiss are always interesting. The Swiss are an interesting group because the way their country has kind of evolved, they used to stay in international competition by locking things down, playing ugly, playing slow, mucking it up, neutral zone, trap. And now they've started to kind of move the other way, which, you know, the way's going where guys are jumping into the play, they're they're a little bit more offensive, so on and so forth. So if they can kind of find that combination where against their opponent they can identify what their areas of, of strengths are going to be against some of the tougher opponents, you know, hunkering down, and against maybe some of the more level or slightly better or slightly worse countries that they go out and start to play an offensive game, they're always a team that can sneak up on you. I mean, traditionally Canada... You know, has had trouble with the Swiss, where they run into them in pool player in the quarters or whatever mm-hmm. else. So there is that to, to consider, I guess. But I, I don't see any of the smaller countries really doing a lot of damage here. Okay, great. Uh, Sam's got a couple of articles that he's going to be doing for us over the WJC. He's got his scouting report on Team Canada already up at sportsnet.ca. He's going to have three players to watch from each of the teams competing in this event that's going to be up on Boxing Day. And once the tournament is over, Sam is going to look back at the medal round with some observations that he's taking away from this tournament. Sam, thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Enjoyed it and look forward to being back.
Juniors, man, I have to say the most fun part every year is just seeing how hyped the kids in that tournament get. It's kind of the last, as I've joked about this before, you know, it's the last time you really cheer for guys before they're millionaires. And I don't want to get too hairy-fairy about it, but there is a little, there's something nice about the fact that it still just seems like unbridled minor hockey joy to some degree. I'll tell you what, a guy who still plays with a ton of passion well into his NHL career is Brendan Gallagher. The Habs love what he brings to the rink every single day. He is a guy who you know what you're going to get every shift from that man. He's also become quite a good goal scorer in recent times. Stick around. After the break, you can hear my conversation with Brendan Gallagher about growing up, being a 5'2", 130-pound midget player, and how he has become one of the most dependable goal scorers on the Canadians today. When we designed the GMC Sierra, we took inspiration from the Northern Lights. Was it because of the otherworldly sense of awe they impart upon us? Their breathtaking majesty as shining beacons of the tundra. Their energetic dance across the moonlit sky. No. It's because the Northern Lights are bright. And the LED headlights on the GMC Sierra are bright too. Drive Canada like a pro. GMC. We are professional grade. Visit gmccanada.ca for more. Back the other way, Dano with Gallagher. Gallagher, into the right circle, rips it, scores! Gallagher with the shutout buster, 1-1 tie. Cuts to the middle, nice maneuver, he lost it to Tarapolo's up on front. Gallagher scores! What a play! 2-1, Montreal! Gallagher again, the Canadians come and Tatar shoots. Gallagher scores! Brendan Gallagher took the puck off the backboards. He's got two, and the lead is 3-1. You know, you're obviously close with the fam, and you have a pretty unique relationship with your dad because of him being a strength and conditioning coach and, you know, how closely you guys have worked throughout the years. Can you just explain a little bit about that for people who don't know when, you know, how young you were when uh, you're throwing medicine balls around the living room or whatever it was? Yeah, I'm pretty lucky to be able to have, uh, you know, my dad do what he does. I think for me me personally as a hockey player, nobody understands me better than my dad, and, and every summer when I go back and we work together, nobody really knows what I need to do to get better more than him, and he has an understanding. And you know, we same thing every single summer, and it's it's just trying to improve, trying to get better at the things that I personally need to do as a smaller guy, and and the style of game that I play. And then, um, you know, he obviously worked for the Giants as well, so uh, you know, I got to see him a lot after games. But it was a pretty good relationship. I mean, at the same time, um, you know, when we were at the rink, he was he was. A, strength coach he wasn't my dad and then when we went home and you know you're away from the rink he was just your dad and it's it's just you know we were able to separate those relationships i think that was really important so would you have spent a lot of time at the rink then when you were a youngster and he was with vancouver yeah uh quite a bit i used to hang around those older guys that he was training and uh, i used to go there and from as young as i can remember hang around the track and, and see guys doing all that stuff and it was weird uh, you'd be a young kid, and you'd, you'd want to be doing all the running and everything that was, was making the guys bent over and, and puke on the sidelines. And then when you're finally doing it, you kind of kind of wish you weren't doing it. So it's um, that's good. I've, I've been able to be around that lifestyle, I guess, for a while and, and understand. You know, he's been at it for a long time, and he's got a really good knowledge of it. So it's you know something that I can trust to go back home to you know help me get better and improve. And you had a pretty unique junior experience, obviously living at home with the fam. And you have a couple brothers and sisters as well. Yeah, I got uh, two sisters and a brother. So um, younger sister is kind of plays every single sport. Uh, she's gonna be going to the UFC uh, to play soccer, I believe. She also plays volleyball. So it's um, 
I know she's excited about that. She's going into her, her last year there, school, and then she'll be heading off. And Calgary? Yeah, Calgary. Um, older brother kind of works for, for my dad a little bit. He, he coaches some teams. My dad runs a, a hockey academy as well, out Delta Hockey Academy out there. They've got about eight teams, so he helps out with that. And then my, my older sister, um, she's got... She went to business school for about eight years. Um, now she ends up working. She's working for a stem cell company, doing you know something with them. I don't even really know. Something that sounds complicated yeah. for guys like us. <laughs> something that I don't really understand. Yeah. But she uh, she does something like that, and um, you know, obviously, parents are proud of all of us. Take me back to um, not the camp where you made the hats, but the one before your first camp. I think you went pretty late that time too, didn't you? Yeah, no, it was fun. Um, I think I was uh, I was 19 years old, and you know, I really really just came in with the mindset that you just kind of want to survive one more day. And you know, each game that I had was an opportunity to to be around really good people, uh, knowledgeable hockey people, great players that were able to help you. So there's a lot of people around that were going to be able to help, and I just tried to soak it all in. And it was a good experience for me to kind of understand uh, what I needed to do to get better and, and areas to improve, and you know, kind of get that belief that you were going to be able to play in the National Hockey League one day. So, if I have it right, I remember you made the team. I think you were scratched the first game, and then did you get in after yeah. that, and that was it? Yeah, so that was it. Scratched the home opener, and obviously, um, you know, I had been playing in, in Hamilton, and then the lockout ended, and right. there wasn't really a camp. Didn't know if I was going to get called up to Montreal after Hamilton, after the lockout ended. I was fortunate to that. They called up, I think it was like five or six of us, and, you know, I was able to stick around after that, but you didn't really have that much opportunity to show what you could do, and... Um, you know, you're just hoping to get in a game, and um, you know, I remember watching the first game, and obviously it was it was cool. I was in Montreal for the home opener, but you're also a little upset that you weren't playing in the game, and um, you know, you just wanted to get in, you wanted to be a part of the team. And I remember the, I got in the next night, and uh, you just wanted to take advantage of the best you can. And I was pretty fortunate. You know, there's a lot of good players. Um, not a lot of people get the opportunity that I had, and I just tried to take advantage of it the best I can. And, um, you know, I was I was able to and and stick around and make an impact right away. And we had a lot of fun. I had a lot of older guys that helped me out that year. I think people learned what you're all about pretty quick because you know it's plain to anyone who who watches. You end up finishing second in Calder voting that year, but you know you were fifth round pick. So I think from the outside perspective, people are going, "Oh, okay, maybe this fifth round pick, maybe he can play." And then it was like, "Oh, maybe he's a 20 goal guy." Well, now maybe it's, he's a 30 goal guy. Have you, have your goals or ideas of what you are changed throughout, or has it always been? Have you had focus on one thing? I think that's uh, you know from when I was really young. That's something that my dad taught me is short term goals are, are way better than than setting goals and assist marks for the end of the year. Not only do you enjoy the game more, but it helps you stay focused and you're able to achieve more. I think. You know, going back to, to when you were just a little kid, you know, Pee Wee Bantam Hockey, I just wanted to be a good player for that team. The end goal was obviously to play in the National Hockey League, and, and you continue to work for that. But you just want to be a good player for your team that night. And, and same thing in the National Hockey League. I, n- I never come in and say I want to, you know, score 20 goals, 30 goals. I just want to be a good, consistent player. And when you take care of those things, I think the, the big picture stuff takes care of itself. And it also makes playing the game more enjoyable because... You're not going to be able to score every night. Even the you know the greatest goal scorers that have ever played this game, they're going to have nights where they don't score. But it doesn't mean you know you you can just be a bad player that night. I think you have to find a way to contribute even when you're not on the goal scoring sheet. And you know there's um, you know different things that you need to be able to do as a player. This is maybe a weird one, but did you learn to work hard, or is it just something that was always in you? 
I don't think I had a choice. I mean, I'm a I'm an undersized player who who doesn't skate the greatest, who doesn't shoot the greatest, who doesn't you know you know no. But you're no, open no, about that, no, right? Like no you're real not, you, skills can yeah. jump out, and you know the one thing that I've always tried to say is you know I've just had to outcompete people and outwork people, and you know when you can do that, you you kind of treat it as a skill, and that's what you need to do. And you know I'm I'm fully aware of, of what I've got as a hockey player, and I can be effective, but for me I have to go out there and work. And when I'm not working, I'm not a very good player, and that's you know, that's something that. You know, I'm pretty honest, but I'm, I obviously know it's the truth. Do you find you get a little more leeway from those referees these days? Because I feel like in the early days when you were a crease crasher, and I mean, you still are, but I'm saying when you're a new guy on the scene, I think they kept pretty close tabs. Is your relationship with stripes changing? I, I think so. And, um, you know, refs are like everyone else. I mean, I came in as a young guy, and I'm trying to do my job. They're trying to do their job, and, and me doing my job makes their job harder. So it's... You know, I've I've obviously had to work with them, and you know, get to know them a little bit better, and they've kind of understood that I'm not I'm not going out of my way. I'm just trying to get there and compete. And every once in a while, you're gonna there's gonna be collisions and stuff like that's gonna happen. And I've tried to have a pretty good working relationship with with all the refs in the league, and I think that's something that's you know it's, it's gotten better. It could still improve a little bit. There's still times where um, it's not so good, but I think for the most part, it's getting better. And you know, you talk to refs around the league, I think they'd probably say the same thing about me. They'd probably think I've changed. I think they've changed, and <laughs> we've just you know it's kind of part of the working relationship. Um, when I talked to Georges, he was like, you know, we were talking obviously about your time together. And he's like, let me be clear about this. As soon as I played in Buffalo, he drove me insane. And it happened, you know, right off the hop. And he mentioned, you know, what we call the Gallagher grin that you often get when you're getting into it with guys in the crease. Can you tell when you're starting to drive someone a little batty? Uh, you know, and 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 usually, I mean, that comes from just playing good hockey, and that all that other stuff is is a side part of the game. It, it you can have a an impact with it, but I mean, you can't be worrying too much about that if you're not playing well, and and you got to make sure that you're taking care of your own game to begin with. But part of that is is just my natural personality, and and having a smile is just something that comes with it. I'm not. I don't go outside my way, but you know the style of play. I, um, you know, I, I like going against physical defenders and, and guys that are going to compete and keep you away from their net. I think it brings out the best of me, and you know, I'm sure they'd say the same thing. And, and when you're going to do that, there's going to be battles. There's going to be some, you know, animosity between the two players. The game within the game, and um, you know, that's just kind of a side of it that, that comes with it. And you know, the way I play, it's it's part of it that you have to enjoy. You must take pride in the fact that throughout the years, you've been a guy who whoever's coaching this team says, if I need to kickstart the line, I put Gallagher on it that's got to be something that makes you feel good as a player you always want to have an impact and this kind of goes back to what i was saying before it's there's there's ways to contribute uh, without scoring goals and part of that is is helping out your line mates and, and doing things like that and i have the easiest uh, role on any line i play on i just got to work and and usually um, you're playing with some pretty skilled players if you're able to work and create some open space for them to get the puck on their stick good things are going to happen and, and they're going to make you look good and i think a lot of the times that's the case new guy on your line this year what's worked with uh you tatar and Dino? The same thing I just talked about. I think all three of us enjoy working hard. I think, um, you know, a lot of nights we have the challenge of going up against top lines, and that's a challenge that we've enjoyed. It's something that you got to be prepared for, you got to work for. But, you know, when the three of us work, uh, we create loose pucks, we make it tough to play against, we make the other team work. And I think by the end of the game, you can kind of see it paying dividends. And, um, you know, the three of us all play similar styles. It's it's not fancy, but, um, you know, when we're, when we're able to do it and do it effectively, I think we can be a pretty good line. Is there anything, I mean, you've talked about playing the same way since you've come to the league it certainly looks that way from the outside but i'm just curious i mean 30 goals last year that's what you're tracking again this year are there some small things within your game that you're like well i'm 26 now i've been in the league you know five six years and i'm just better at this whether it's creating a little space or getting the shot off a little quicker anything like that 
Um, you're always trying to work with that stuff. Um, you know, I think you, you just get knowledge and you get smarter and you kind of understand what teams are doing. I mean, I got to play on lines with some pretty good goal scorers, some pretty good players, and a lot of guys that have helped me along the way just see little things within the game. And um, I think when, when I was a younger kid... Uh, younger kid in the league. I'm still not that old, but a 20-year-old, but, you know, my first instinct was always just to go, go, go. There's there's times where I think you can be a little bit, um, you know, you can kind of wait for your moment a little bit, and it's not too much. You still have to have the work ethic, but I think you can just be a little bit smarter of seeing the open ice, and, um, you know, things kind of come to you rather than forcing it all the time, and, um, you know, the the knowledge of the game, I think, is something that, that's kind of gotten better, and with anyone, I think the more years you play, the more experience you get. How tough was it? I mean, just two really bad luck injuries, consecutive years. I mean, I mean, I'm sure by the second one, you were like, all of us who watched the Canadians along were like, are you kidding me? A hand again on a, you know, a, this time a teammate. But how tough was that, especially because, you know, you're 23, 24 those years. That's when you're really hoping to make that leap, right? I wasn't so much thinking about that. I mean, at both times, I just, I mean, the first time it happened, um, I looked down and, and I knew it was broken. I knew my two fingers were broken, um, but surgery never even crossed my mind. I just thought, okay, it's a broken finger. I'll be back. No time. Um, and then I went in and, and as soon as the doc saw it, they said surgery and I was a little bit caught off by that and it caught me off guard. And then the second time it happened, I looked down and it was the exact same and I knew right away it was, I didn't need anyone to tell me that I was going to be out the same amount of time. And, and you had a little bit more experience with it. Um, they were different injuries though, um, in the sense that, you know, it, it the hand kind of felt different coming back the second time, so it was it was still a bit of an adjustment period. But fully used to it now, and hopefully uh, hopefully those are behind me. All the stuff we've talked about is why you're you know a guy who this organization you know cites the prospects as go out there and be like Gallagher. You guys needed a new captain after Patrick got traded in the in the summer. Did part of you think, hey, it might be me? Uh, you know what? I, I look around this room and and Webbs is the leader of this group. I don't think. That's a thought. I think I have some responsibility as as you know one of the leaders of the group. But um, you know, Webbs is the the guy, and and he comes. He's been the captain before. He's you know he's played on championship teams before. He knows what it takes to win, and and he brings with him um, an ability to lead. And I think that's the most important thing. He understands the difference between right and wrong. He knows the direction to go, and he's able to bring guys in that direction. And you know, when you really break down leadership, that's all it is. And I think he does that better than anyone. Last year was a tough one, and it was one of those years where you could see why some guys might find it real tough to play here. But you've been pretty vocal about loving it here, about the things that uh, make it very unique. Just what has it been like, for lack of a better way of putting it, playing for the Montreal Canadiens and being a prominent player for this team? I mean, it's 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 special. I think that was one of the things that uh, Georgie said to me in one of his first years, or that I was with him, was everyone should get the chance to to play for the Montreal Canadiens. I think it's a it's a really cool opportunity as a player, as a hockey player, to play for a market where the fans do care as much as they do. I mean, sometimes it's tough, obviously. I mean. You know, you're, you're going to go through rough spells, and the fans are very emotional. I think we have to be a little bit smarter than that, and we can't be so up and be so down. And but I think, um, you know, the passion and the support that they bring, I don't think you're going to find this in any hockey market around the world. And I think, you know, that's pretty special. Are you a bit of golf nut? Did I hear? I do golf. I do golf quite a bit. So uh, me and my buddies back home, we have a little bit of a competition every summer. <laughs> it's it's basically just to make fun of our one buddy, Mark. That's really the only reason okay. we do it. What, just what, so what's the lose. competition? Just to... uh, we we keep track of points. And, and wins and losses, and we we basically just keep stats so we can see how many how many losses Mark has and, on the course. On the course, so it's uh, that's that's pretty much my my summer goal is to keep him in the basement. <laughs> so is, is it golf and working out in summer days? Uh, is that that's pretty much it? What, is, um, what do you do first? Hit the links and then work out, or vice versa? Uh, no, Probably it's, it's vice usually, versa, right? Yeah. Usually work out, work out in the morning, and then obviously later in the summer you're going to skate. 
and then I, I'm pretty lucky. I live right on a course there in this, in, uh, in Tawasson. So we go home and, you know, there's tea times available. We'll get out there, uh, as a group and, and go play some golf. Also play some, some slow pitch in the summer on weekends. So it's pretty much my summer. Um, I'm just curious if you work out with, I'm guessing it would often be with your dad, but is there any other, um, NHLers or junior guys who would kind of somewhat frequently be with you? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, Luch has kind of been on and off. I think okay. he's, I mean, this summer we only saw him for, for about a month. He spent most of his time in LA, but he's, he's been a part of that group for okay. a while. Um, Lance Bowman is a guy that's played in the NHL. He went over to Europe. Troy Stetcher, Derek Grant, and then a bunch of, uh, you know, buddies of mine that I grew up with that from Tawasin that, that I grew up playing with that are still playing hockey over in Europe okay. that are part of the group. So we've, it's, it's pretty much been the same, uh, the same group that I've had. Since I was however old, started moving out here, and, okay. and we always uh, we've always stuck together and trained together. Who would a couple of those guys be who you grew up with who play in Europe? I'm just thinking people might be able to tell some stories about you. Uh, well, Josh Josh Nichols uh, okay. is one of them. Uh, he's over playing in the KHL right now. Neil Manning's another one. I think he actually came over. He's in the American League right now, but he's been over in Italy and now he's in the American League. Um, and then Ryan Olson's another one. Uh, he's back in the American League as well. Uh, Spencer Humphreys is over in Norway. Uh, Colton Jobke's over in Germany. So there's just a... Uh, there's a bunch of guys that are kind of everywhere. I get lose track of where they all are. But. <laughs> so hockey can take you some uh, crazy places and fun places. All right. Well, this has been great, Brandon. Thanks yeah, so much. Thank you. There you have it. My chat with Brendan Gallagher. You can see the story in written form on Sunday, December 23rd on sportsnet.ca. That will be the big read that day. Big news in my life. Friends, this holiday season has been all about bringing a baby girl into the world for myself and my wife. So that has been how I have been spending these days with friends and new members of the family. What a treat. We hope you, wherever you are, are having a great holiday season as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Tape to Tape podcast in 2018. We really do appreciate you coming to us and listening to what we have to say about the hockey world uh please don't ever hesitate to engage with us on twitter rory at rory boylan myself at dixon on sports we're gonna have a brief hiatus here during the holiday season we will be back though the week of january 7th so make sure you come back for more of the same excited and engaged conversation that we always have here on the tape to tape pod so that's it for 2018 we're signing off but we'll see you very shortly into 2019 right here on the tape to tape podcast